He is, you know. Oh, and there! Brilliant! Wonderful run from Giggs! Sensational goal from Ryan Giggs! Still John Barnes, Collymore closing in! Welcome to the 90s Football Hall of Fame show, a podcast brought to you by thefootballfaithful.com. I'm Steve McGovern, and I'll be the gaffer for this episode. I'm joined by first-team regular Peter Henry. How's it going, Peter? Evening, lads. And returning for his second consecutive start, it's freelance football writer and bearded regista Stephen Tudor. Stephen, how is it going? It's going very well, and my introductions are getting better and better, so I'm very pleased with that. <laughs> Glad. I'm just, I'm just trying to, you know, build on my performance each week, you know, get, just uh, make these little improvements, these marginal gains, you know. Marginal gains, love it. <laughs> right. Every week we induct a new member into the 90s Football Hall of Fame. And this week's entrant was the definition of a scrappy midfielder. Di Matteo. What a Super Bowl. Dennis Wise is on to it. Dennis Wise, equaliser. What a moment. What a moment for the little skipper. What a finish. We are talking about the pint-sized former Chelsea midfielder, Dennis Wise, the London club's second most successful captain in their history. Steve, you know, it's funny, now having, we've had you on several times. In the beginning, we had you on talking about David Ginola, Benito Carboni, these you know sensuous, sexy, continental midfielders. And then you talked about Uwe Rosler, and you know, that was you know, a Man City club legend, so we'll give you that. But then we're talking about Big Dunk. And now we're on to Dennis Wise. I mean, what has happened? What happened along the way, Steve? What, I don't know. We what is going through. on in your mind? Is this, is this a reflection of your mental state at the minute that you, you know, you're going from one end of the spectrum to the other? I think it can just be explained by COVID. It's just a very COVID kind of year. And so we've gone from, you know, Carbone and these central players, as you said, and now basically we're looking at players who very much are the missionary position with a little bit of hair pulling thrown in. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, Dennis Wise is not the sexiest of footballers, is he? He's a little shithouse, let's not mince words. But he's also a deceptively very good footballer as well, uh, with a really good CV. So he's deserving of a pod, certainly. But yeah, we do seem to be going downhill in terms of the sexiness. Yeah, and, and I was when I was looking at like his career on Wikipedia earlier, I was thinking like, oh my God, all of his clubs are exactly the ones you would expect Dennis Wise to play for. Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah. Chelsea, Leicester, Millwall, you know, those are the main ones anyway, before he got old and shit. But archetypal, like Dennis Wise football clubs. But if we bring it back to the 80s briefly, because he was part of that infamous crazy gang at, at Wimbledon. And obviously, like, there's just so much like meat on the bones there to talk about the crazy gang. But Steve, did that kind of shape his career as much as anything else? Did that influence or or was he always going to be Dennis Wise? Ah, that's a good question. I think he was always going to be Dennis Wise, but Wimbledon was such a perfect fit for him. They were horrible. I mean, the thing is, we we talk back now quite nostalgically about the crazy gang and Wimbledon. They were horrible, let's face facts. They just set out to destroy football, set out to destroy anything that was beautiful. Um, They were just football anarchists and... Dennis Wise was right there at the heart and centre of it all. So that did define him. But then again, 
I think he'd be defined as a little shithouse anyway because he was a little shithouse. Yeah, but Wimbledon was such a perfect fit for him and from there on, no matter what he did or where he went, he would always be Dennis Wise. He used to take the free kicks and corners and I always remember a commentator when I was a kid saying he could put it on a on a sixpence. I think it was the first time I'd I'd heard the expression and you don't hear that expression much, much anymore, but it used to always be used to describe good free kick takers. But he actually put the put the ball in for Laurie Sanchez to score in the 88 Cup final, which is one of the most famous FA Cup finals ever when the crazy gang beat, you know, Liverpool were in their pomp at that stage and Dave Besson, first man to ever save a penalty. So um, as we'll get on to, he, he's definitely one of them players that, that had a love affair with one particular tournament and that seemed to start with with the FA Cup in 88 with Wimbledon and, and there's a great video on YouTube of him and Vinnie Jones and Laurie Sanchez getting interviewed afterwards and Dennis Wise is just this tiny little kid under <laughs> Vinnie Jones's arms it's it, it's just hilarious Vinnie Jones is there with a black eye it's uh yeah like even the format of the interview like you they wouldn't be able to do that like the lads are on the beer the whole lot so uh it's definitely worth a watch if anyone goes onto YouTube. Well, he scored the, the winner against Luton in the semi-final as well, Wise. So, you know, scored the win in the semi, assisted for the goal in the final. But also, and he shackled John Barnes for the whole 90 minutes. Barnes was in his pomp back then, and he kept him quiet. So he, he had a you know, dual role there for that game, and he did both you know, excellently. And from Wimbledon, then he went on to Chelsea in 1990. I actually did not realise just how long he was there because he, he stayed there for 11 years. So, I mean, he, he's definitely a genuine club legend there, Peter, isn't he? Oh, yeah, he's their fourth highest ever appearance maker. And like you said, I think in the intro, they're their second most successful captain. And, and it's, it's such an interesting time in, in Chelsea's history as well that, you know, he goes there Early 90s, he's their club record boy for 1.6 million. Was it Ian Porterfield who was the manager there um, at the time? He did all right. He was kind of an attacking midfielder, winger, wide man at that stage. Um, And then Glenn Hoddle came in and kind of converted him into a central midfielder, thought, look, you've got the drive. And that's really where he changed into being just this fella who would win at all costs. That was the ultimate wind-up merchant. He could still play a bit, but as Chelsea started to bring in, you know, Hoddle left, he went to the England job, Hullet comes in, Viali, Zola, Dan Petrescu, Mark Hughes, so many of these players we've 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 talked about on pods before. They were such a team to watch at the time because they just had, you know, the foreign invasion. Chelsea were right at the forefront front of it. And Wise kind of converted into this midfielder where he was just getting the ball and laying it off to these world-class, if aging, talents. Some of some of his shit houseery um, down through the years was brilliant because this was a time when you have to remember that like you know United had Keane, Arsenal had Vieira. You go back to even his days at Wimbledon, Vinnie Jones. Every every player had a top boy, if you know what I mean. And throughout that period with Chelsea, right through when they were winning cups all around them in the late nineties, Dennis Wise that was his role. He was their shit house in chief of that Chelsea team and as we know just when he just when after he left a year or so later that's when Ambramovich came in and, and, and it all changed again so he, he would have been like that decade so much happened the club transformed football transformed let's be honest about it but um 
yeah, it was definitely a, a kind of, um, yeah, a very telling period in Chelsea's history. And Chelsea fans, the old older school Chelsea fans, they absolutely love Dennis Wise to bits. And it's, it's easy to see why. He's um, what you might call an, an acquired taste, personality-wise. He's got a, a very... Um, very well known and infamous reputation. But what I love, you know, about reading about players like Wise is that kind of euphemistic language you used to describe them. So you always see them described as combative, pugnacious, <laughs> scrappy. But in reality, Stephen, he was a bit of a pox, wasn't he? He was, yeah. Um, I mean, off the field, he was charged with assaulting a taxi driver. And I think he was actually given a jail sentence, but that was um, latterly overturned. So he's got into all kinds of mishaps off the pitch. And on, on the pitch too, I mean, Peter said there about his shithousery and, and, you know, there's some infamous tales. Uh, I'll pass over to Peter in, in a sec about one involving kind of Nicky Butt. He was very much the type, you know, he wouldn't basically go out and start kind of, like Duncan Ferguson, for example, as we discussed in a, in a previous pod, who, who did everything in clear sight. He was very much behind the scenes as regards to kind of, you know, how he'd, he'd go about things, stamps on ankles and kind of, you know, pinches and pulling of hair and, and all the rest of it. Uh, there was one season, I think he got sent off four times in one season. It might have been three, but I think it was four. And that included uh, biting a real Mallorca player uh, in, in a for Super Cup game. Yeah, it's fair to say he put himself about a bit <laughs> and... Uh, he was a wind-up merchant, ultimately. Um, and, and, you know, he did that very well. But then again, he could always cross the line. He got sacked by Leicester for breaking um, Callum Davidson's jaw teammate, uh, jaw and nose, actually. And the irony of that is Davidson was trying to be the peacemaker and was actually trying to interject in an argument. So, yeah, the kind of controversy followed him about and it was pretty much always his fault. <laughs> Go on then, Peter. What is uh, the Nicky Butt story? Yeah, well, even though I'm a Man United fan, it's one of my favourite moments of shithousery in uh, Premier League history. It's United actually got hammered that day at Stamford Bridge. It was in the 99-2000 season, the year after we'd won the treble. And uh, Massimo Taibbi in goal. Even Chris Sutton scored. It was a bad, bad day. But um, the ball's coming to Nicky Butt around kind of around chest, head, height, and Wise comes up behind him and knees him in the back and elbows him in the head. And Butt goes down on the ground, holding his head. And as he's down, Wise's legs have kind of wrapped around him. So while Nicky Butt is down, Dennis Wise goes in and pinches him right up the groin. And Nicky Butt hops up, kicks him. Dennis Wise flops on the ground. Nicky Butt sent off. Absolute wind-up merchant. Like, you know, three times he, he did it. And then on the ground especially the one on the ground pinching him in the groin. You can't, like, you can't be angry. You just have to be impressed by that level of shithousery as far as I'm concerned. And uh, Steve was saying it was actually the 98-99 season. You missed 15 games suspended that season. So that tells you all you need to know. But I, I think it, it's fascinating as well when you think about that whole period I was talking about because you know, there's the likes of Zola and Viali coming in from like, and Hullet coming in from like ultra perfect professional Italian football coming into Chelsea where the main man in the dressing room is Dennis Wise who had grew up, grown up and been schooled by the likes of Vinnie Jones and, and Fash the Bash and all these fellas so just absolute chaos like the, I was looking at a, a video last night and they were saying Zola when he came in he want, you know he had to start reading English books and he was reading loads of these spy thrillers and all to improve his 
improve his uh, English and Dennis Wise kept pulling out the last chapter of the book <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then whenever a new player would join which is like this is such a clash of cultures you know because Dennis Wise was very much that 90s stereotype of you know football or in the dressing room that when a player would new players would join he'd get the keys to their room and go up and throw all the furniture out the window of their hotel room and all sorts of crazy stuff. And funnily enough, they seem to like him. A lot of that, that group, the Viales, and the, I know Viali had disagreements with him when he was the manager, but Zola talks about him highly and, and, and Petrescu and that. So, um, so uh, yeah, it must have just been mayhem in, mayhem in that dressing room in, in the 90s with all the different characters. Marcel Desai coming in and things like that. And then, you know, a young John Terry floating around as well. So uh, I'd say it was mayhem in that Chelsea dressing room. Well, the, the young John Terry um, kind of encountered Dennis Wise you know, in his captain's role. When Terry got his first bonus, it was a Champions League bonus and it was enough to buy a very nice sports car. So he turned up for training and um, Dennis Wise got him in a tunnel by the throat up against the wall in front of all his teammates and said, you're taking that car back. So he had to lose money on it. But then the following day or, or you know, the following week or whenever it was, Dennis Wise then personally made sure that John Terry, with that money, invested in property and said, this is what we do. You don't kind of turn into that kind of player. You turn into this kind of person. And uh, John Terry's always credited him uh, for, for, for that. But yeah, the manner in which he did it, though, you know, putting up, up against the wall, grabbing him by the throat, was, is there any need for that? As you said, and that is quintessentially 1990s. What I love about that is the image of like tiny little Dennis Wise, like grabbing what six foot five John Terry by the throat yeah. up against yeah, like, the wall. Like what is what an absolutely just silly image. Well, he's not scared of anything. He, he he was five foot five or something, and he was shaped around that pitch as if he was the biggest man on it. Yeah, yeah. he was he's not scared man. of anyone. I mean, there's a story with uh, Vinnie Jones where I'm, I don't know if it was for Wimbledon or Chelsea. But the two of them with two others were in the car going down to Bournemouth for pre-season. Um, it was like a, a pre-season kind of um, fitness kind of camp. Uh, and on the way there, they were all teasing Dennis Wise. So Dennis Wise got uh, a metal coat hanger and started choking Vinnie Jones with it around the neck, which was oh ill-advised ad- Ill at the best of times, but Vinnie Jones was driving at the time. So he had to pull over and the three of them restrained Dennis Wise and put him in this uh, dog cage which really turns out in the back of his kind of estate car. So he was basically just imprisoned in this cage for the rest of the journey until he calmed down. He, he, to be fair <laughs> to it, he was not scared of anyone. Jeez, yeah, it, it's amazing that nobody from that period of time like died or like was dismembered or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just, just like the, the things they got up to, like it's absolutely insane. And like you hear about these stories and I wonder sometimes, like this guy was captain like they gave this guy responsibility like what were they thinking but then in at the same time Stephen in some of those stories you see like oh, okay well actually he he does have some semblance of, of leadership in him as well he did and, and this is the most fascinating thing about it for me about Dennis Wise is that he kind of changed as a player he was moved you know as Peter said into the center of midfield he became the leader of a driving force for Chelsea he it's kind of like he, he left left the worst aspects of his Wimbledon days behind and kind of almost changed somewhat as a person and as a player. Um, yes, there were red cards and yes, he could lose his temper. Of course he could. But, you know, when you're surrounded by Di Matteo and Zola, 
he fit in amongst them. I mean, these were the players he used to target. These were anathema to that crazy gang, those kind of you know superstar players. They were the ones who they used to take down. And suddenly he kind of joined their ranks and you know walked amongst them and played amongst them. So that fascinated me. And, and also, as we said right at the top as well, how much his reputation defined him? Because, you know, we're talking here about, you know, his antics and what he got up to. But, you know, we've got to remember as well, he was a bloody good footballer. He really was. He was, um, he scored 14 goals in his second season for Chelsea. I mean, that's Lampard-esque. He created, he scored in all the big games. He was man of a match in the first FA Cup final for Chelsea. Um, he assisted in their uh, Cup Winners' Cup final. Um, again, I think he's man of a match. He was certainly one of the standout stars for that, in that game. So he always brought it in the big games. And he always kind of, you know, in esteemed company, he was the man. So, you know, all credit to him for that. Scored a brilliant goal um, at, in the San Siro against AC Milan in the Champions League. Won at Chelsea. I think Chelsea's first time in the Champions League. Ball over the top, over Maldini's head. He went running in, took it down with his right foot and hammered a kind of half volley in with his left. A brilliant goal. Like you said, I was kind of shocked when I watched the YouTube clips last night of just how many different types of goals he got. Real midfielders' goals arriving you know, into the box at the right time. He scored a, another one in Europe, I think in the Champions League, against Feyenoord, where he arrives at the back post and outjumps everybody. So, yeah, I, I think it's definitely true that his, his reputation has, has led a lot of people to forget that he was actually a very talented footballer. 21 caps for England as well, which is, which is a decent enough amount as well at a time when there was a lot of good midfielders around. And Chelsea weren't necessarily, you know, one of the clubs where England would be plucking a whole lot of players for at the time. But I do think it's, in many ways, he, he was the perfect captain for that group of Chelsea players because at the end of the day, they were coming into a pre- into the 90s Premier League, which was so much more different. And if they wanted to see what up close and personal, what your typical snarling English midfielder was at the time, Dennis Wise was the perfect man to show them that, to, to tell them this is what it's really about. And as well as that, to almost act as a minder, I think, in some ways, to the Zolas and the Di Matteos and a, a bunch of foreign players in England for the first time like that might maybe not get intimidated, but even if they weren't getting intimidated, might react too hard, whereas Dennis Wise was, was in fighting before they got a chance most of the time. Like There's a brilliant quote by Sir Alex. He says Dennis is... He says Dennis Wise are getting a fight in an empty room, you know. So um, he he was very much the aggressor within that midfield, which which kind of let the other lads go and do their thing. And he he, he probably took a lot of flack off other players that again just let the, the more creative players go and do their thing. Obviously, he left Chelsea in two thousand one after eleven years and uh, several trophies: two FA Cups, League Cup, Charity Shield, Cup Winners Cup, and the Super Cup as uh, we kind of mentioned earlier. And he moved on then from Leicester. And then, uh, as Steve alluded to earlier, he was sacked there and ended up going to uh, Millwall, where he kind of became a player manager as well uh, for, a, for a couple of years. And uh, decent, well, I was going to say a decent win rate. No, 40%, it's not great. It took them all the way to the FA Cup final where they lost to Manchester United. So, uh, you know, that was a pretty interesting and, and uh, decent start to his managerial career, Stephen. Yeah, it was. I mean, because he's player manager as well, so he was involved on the day. And, and so he's basically been involved with three different clubs in FA Cup finals. So, you know, a love affair with that tournament. It kind of seemed to fit in with his kind of um, mentality, if you like, you know, one round after another. And 
taking on um, the Giants and kind of, you know, that that mentality needed to get to finals suited him more than a day-to-day grind of a league. But, yeah, it was an incredible achievement to take Millwall to a cup final. Uh, and his managerial career is strange, I, I think, because he's got a decent track record at Leeds. His win rate there was over 50%, just a smidgen over, but still. Um, so he was doing all right at Leeds, and then he left Leeds to take an executive role at Newcastle, where it all went pear-shaped. And since then, I, I really he just fell off the radar. I think he appeared on I'm a Celebrity, didn't he? And uh, he's a pundit now and again for Sky. But really, I, I, I couldn't tell you what Dennis Wise does these days. And yeah, at once, it looked like he was, he was carving out a decent managerial career. So he chose to leave Leeds when they, I think they were hunting for promotion at the time. So that's all very odd. But um, yeah, he can certainly hold his head up high when it comes to his, his coaching career. There's a brilliant clip in the FA Cup 2004, I think it was. So it's obviously Millwall, he's player manager. And this is the same Man United, Scholes and Bush and Keane that he'd had loads of ding-dong battles with, with Chelsea. And it's right before half time, and there's a, a corner about to be taken. And he wrestles Paul's goals to the ground. And the ref, Paul's goals gone to the ref. Look, tell him, like, you know, he's all over me here. So the ref goes, right, so move away now, lads. So again, Scholes goes to run. Dennis Wise just pulls him down. Like, two penalties with VAR, 100%. <laughs> the ref should have been able to see it. So eventually, the ref just goes, right, forget about it. We're just going to go in. They didn't even take the corner. We're just going to go in for, for half time. And all the players, Gary Neville's up, Roy Keane's up. And uh, the ref kind of has to, it's Jeff Winter. Do you remember him? Yeah. Jeff Winter has to kind of put his arm around Dennis Wise and run off the pitch with him because all the United players are going mad. Like he was he was 36 or something like that. And he was still, <laughs> he still had half the United team chasing him. You know, it's brilliant. Like pure Dennis Wise. You get a feeling he'd be like that in five side even now though. That's just who he is, isn't it? So uh, just to go back on to his time at Leeds, because he was there for 16 months and that is just not a thing I ever recall. Like, I, I just don't even, yeah. I don't remember that being a thing. And I'm like, oh my God, he was there for ages. And I just, what was it? I think he managed 99 matches. Like, I'm like, what? He was there for that long? And it's it's funny because like, you know, you, you read some of the stories about former players, what former players have to say about him. Mackel Gallon says he didn't take a shine to anybody um, which is an interesting approach. Uh, Seb Carole says, Dennis Wise said I was French and lazy, which is okay. <laughs> that's <laughs> all right. Um, I mean, Steve, that's, it's not like, I mean, we talked about like he, he could probably hold his head up high, but it's not the most stellar legacy as a manager either. No, I mean, he's, he's, I'm pretty sure he's going to be old school in his approach. Um, he had Gus Poyer um, as his assistant, didn't he? But then when Poyer left to go to Spurs, Dave Bassett came in. So Dennis Wise with Dave Bassett at Leeds United. Uh (laughs) Yeah, no words need to be said on that one. You can just imagine what that dressing room was like. Um, But in terms of his stats and his kind of results, and, and, you know, they are fairly impressive, particularly for, you know, someone who he was still relatively new as a manager at that point. I, I, I just failed to understand why he went and took on the role at Newcastle. But then again, he was with his pals, wasn't he, and all the rest of it, and which was part of the problem at Newcastle because it was just a cockney click, wasn't it? And the locals yeah. didn't take kindly to that. So, you know, that was obviously the reason. But it would have been interesting to see what he would have evolved into as a manager. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, he said it himself, that leaving that job 
essentially destroyed his career. Like it, it yeah. he really didn't recover from that. And uh, obviously, the most famous incident from that was when he was talking to Keegan about signing a player, Ignacio Gonzalez. And Keegan was like, well, we haven't seen this player. I don't have enough information based on him. And Dennis Wise was like, oh, look him up on YouTube. And there was just these grainy like videos of of this player. And Keegan was like, absolutely not. And it all turns out that apparently, you know, it was basically a, a sweetener for agents because they were, you know, oh, if you get this guy in, we'll make sure you get players down the line and stuff like this. And yeah, yeah just a, a, you know, absolute joke. And very typical of kind of Newcastle at that time. And I've, I'm just actually wondering, like, why there hasn't been a book written about Newcastle United during that time and up to today, even, but especially around then when it was just madness. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I, a friend of mine's writing about Newcastle during the Bobby Robson era. And when he was telling me about it, that very same thought occurred to me that, you know, there really should be a book on Ashley and kind of from then up to now. Because yeah. it's just been farcical, isn't it? The joke near diaries. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be on my Christmas list. If you could pick one era of a club, which one would you want a book written about? Of any club? Of any club and any particular area, yeah. Oh, that's a tricky one. I'd probably go for Man City because I'm a City fan. Um, I would probably go for the Shinawatra time. Oh, yes! That's exactly the one I was going to say. Really? Yes! <laughs> I have that written down right now. That man fascinates me. I mean, my God, he was on the run, for goodness sake. And he was in charge of a football club. Yes, that's... I mean, like, there's so much I don't know. And every time I read more, I'm like, I have more questions. (laughs) (laughs) I need to know more about that. I did did a podcast on, actually, on on Nostalgia Ultras. And just, I feel like we just didn't do it enough justice at all. Because there's so much info I just don't know and need to know. But, like, Christ, yes. But uh, look, that's a that's a tangent for another day. Anyway, so have you guys seen that video of Dennis Wise? He's like in Thailand or something. I think it was a Copa 90 video where he's like coaching these like under 17s or something, some teenagers in Thailand or Malaysia or something. And he's given like a halftime team talk and he's saying to one of the lads, he's like, that guy is making a mug of you out on the wing. Like, just go and get him. Like, have you seen that? <laughs> I think I have in the past that does ring a faint bell at, and it, it's not a surprise, is it? That that oh, was okay. very much the kind of person that you can imagine him to be. Fajay, the left winger, he's taking piss out of you. Put him <coughs> in that fucking row over there. You have my permission to put them two fuckers over there. He's got three fucking goals. Three goals. He disrespects you. You want to take, see if he does it now, the little flip-flap and all the little what's name. You fucking hit him. Yep. You make him know. Yep. Oh, it's just unbelievable. And it's like these little like teenagers and he's just like, you need to do them. But I got told that though when I was a kid. I remember there was this really tall lad. I mean, we're talking like, you know, under 12s. But this lad was kind of fully developed. He, he was as tall as an adult and he played out in the wing and I was a fullback. And I remember me, it was like a mate's dad, you know, that kind of team where it's your mate's dad who's a manager. And he told me to punch him. He said, right, what, in the first half, when the rest not looking, punch him. He's, he's, he's a chicken shit. That's it, then. He'll be quiet the whole game. I couldn't do it. I, I, think, <laughs> I think I slapped him on the arm at one point. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, it's just amazing, really. Uh, the tales you probably could hear from you know like these underage like kids games oh, like God, so, yes. unbelievable like yeah but anyway uh, to round it off peter what what is uh kind of dennis wise's legacy in your opinion and um is it a fair or unfair one no 
I think is I don't I don't think Dennis Wise will if you t- if you call Dennis Wise a little a shit house, <laughs> Dennis Wise would do that little cheeky evil grin that he was famous for. So I don't think he would be in in any way upset with being remembered for for being a little shit shit house. But his his legacy kind of stands for itself. You know, he he the second most successful captain and their fourth Chelsea's fourth highest appearance maker and you know a key part of the team a team that has gone down in in FA Cup and English folklore so I think he was very he was a very very much a 90s footballer and I think he's perfectly happy with that you know what I mean I don't think I don't think he'd even want to be playing these days so yeah no I think look I did enjoy just looking back and just that cheeky little evil grin that he had. <laughs> yeah, it was just from a different era altogether. Probably not a bad thing. There's not too many Dennis Wises around now. Although um, I, I would, I have to say, I would like to see Dennis Wise going into a couple of Premier League midfields and ruffling a couple of feathers, you know? Absolutely. Well, Dennis Wise, he's a two-time Chelsea player of the season, an England international, and now a new member of the 90s Football Hall of Fame. Up next, we've got a quiz. This quiz is brought to you by Football Index. You can get a £20 bonus when you sign up for a new account. Just use the offer code FF20. Now, lads, you know the rules. They're very simple. I'll ask the question. You say your name to buzz in, and you've got 10 seconds to give an answer. The best out of five is the winner. And this quiz is all about the 1990-91 First Division season. So, are we ready? Uh-huh. Question one. Arsenal won the title in 1991. But how many league titles did that give them at that point in their history? Was it eight, nine, ten, or eleven? Peter. Go ahead, Peter. Eight. Stephen, do you have an answer? Ten. The correct answer is indeed ten, and that makes it one nil to Stephen. He's raced out into a lead. Peter battered me last time. I'm determined this time. Come on. Yeah, you were shut out. (laughs) So you've uh, at least got on the scoreboard uh, this time. At least, if nothing else, if nothing else. Right. Question two: The Gunners claimed the title on the sixth of May after Liverpool lost, but who did the Reds lose to? Was it Knott's Forest, Leeds United, or Spurs? Peter. Oh, Peter, you got in there first? I'll go for uh, Cluffy spoiling the day, Knott's Forest. Cluffy did spoil the day, and it was Knott's Forest, and that makes it one all. So, no. guesswork, I can't remember the 1991 season. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, there's no bonus points for it, but do you remember who Arsenal beat to clinch it that day as well? Oldham Athletic. It was, uh, well, no, Oldham Athletic were in the second division that year. Yeah, I'll have you know. Um, no, it was Manchester United. Alan Smith got a hat-trick. Oh. 3-1. Yeah, there you go. Now, uh, two teams got relegated that season. Can you name one of them? Peter. Go ahead, Peter. Newcastle. Incorrect. Stephen. Oh. I'm sorry one? about this day. I'm really am, but I'm going to guess at Fulham. Fulham. Ful- <laughs> <The> funny- <laughs> Fulham. <laughs> Pretty sure we were third division back then. Oh, yeah. Oh, bloody hell, yeah. It's yeah. just, I, I hear the word relegation. <laughs> yeah, I know. This, this quiz is over. You didn't say worst team ever. <laughs> but um, can, I, can I go again, no? Yeah, go on. Go on, go on. All right. I, 
I have a feeling it was one of the northeast clubs, so I'm going to go with Sunderland. Sunderland is correct, and I'm just going to assume you didn't look up Wikipedia for that. So I'll give no, it... no, I do. Re- I remember that one of them had just missed out on the first season of the Premier League. So, right, Stephen, do you have uh, one last guess? I'm going to go for the other northeast. I'm going to go for Middlesbrough. No, it was Derby County. So now after three questions, it's 2-1 to Peter. Right, it's got two left. Question four. Joseph Venglos became the first fire Peter. manager. Peter. Peter. That was definitely me. <laughs> well, I don't know, well, it was close. Uh, well, <laughs> I, haven't even, I haven't even read half the question. Yeah, we know the answer, Steve. Yeah. All right. What, if you get half a point each, I'll go Aston. Peter, you go Villa. I'll go Villa. Joseph Venglos became the first fire manager in the first division when he took over Aston Villa in July 1990. Oh, no. But from which nation did he originate? Stephen. Go on, Stephen. Czech Republic. I'll give you that. It was Czechoslovakia, but I'll give you Czech Republic. Yeah. And that makes it two all. See, always wait for the last question. <laughs> the end of the question. Oh, right. So two all. This is the last question. And this is the one to seal it. Which club won the League Cup in 1991? Peter. Go ahead, Peter. Oh, Manchester United. Stephen, do you have an answer? Oh, God. Um, I would just be guessing. I really would be guessing. Uh, I'm going to go for Nottingham Forest. Oh, it's a good guess, though. It's a very good guess, but you're both incorrect. Uh, the answer is Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, oh. oh you should know that because you claim to be their biggest fan, Steve. So. I know. It's, it's not as if I didn't write a big article for you guys. <laughs> Damn it. Right. I was so... hoping to beat you 5 2 just to rub it in. Anyway. <laughs> right. So that makes it uh, two all. Will we, uh, yeah, will we go for, a, will we go for a, a, a tiebreaker? Yeah. Two men enter, one man leave. <laughs> Right. Who was uh, the top goal scorer that season with 22 goals? Stephen. I've Go got this wrong. I'm a season too early. I'm going to say Teddy Sheringham, but it's not Teddy Sheringham. It's not Teddy Sheringham. No. I'm going to go with Leeds United's Lee Chapman. So close. He scored 21 goals. Ah, you bastard. So close. Stephen, will I give you one last uh, guess? Um, I'm going to Ian Rush. Ian Rush isn't even in the top it? 10 here. He, so it's about Leeds then, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I will go with Ian Wright, Wright, Wright. Ian Wright, 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 also not on this list. I assume he was still at... Uh, was he Was he still at Crystal that Palace? First, first year at Arsenal. No, he's not on this list. This is going to be like the first quiz between you two lads where we had like a million tiebreakers and nobody won. I'm going to guess um, uh, Brian McClare. Oh, that's a good uh, that is a good guess, but uh, no. Not I get one McClare. more. I get one more. <laughs> do, do, um, do you, yeah? <laughs> well, he's had three. Like, so <laughs> yeah, go on. Go on. Um, I don't know. I fucking... Les Ferdinand. Les Ferdinand. Also not on this list. What is with this list of players? No, it was uh, Alan Smith of Arsenal. <gasps> oh, you're kidding me. I overlooked him. I actually genuinely, honest to God, considered him and thought, nah, it won't be him. <laughs> Honest to God, so can I have a half a point for that? <laughs> uh, we'll give you the moral victory, how about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll always take the moral victory. All right, look, I think we'll leave it at that. To all, you guys get to... Actually, it's quite fitting because in that season, Liverpool and Manchester United shared the charity shield. So there you go. You, you guys mm-hmm. can share your own imaginary charity shield together. That's bullshit. 
<laughs> yeah, that makes me Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> right, that's the end of this episode. If you enjoyed our show, then please take a moment to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the Football Faithful feed to get all of our podcasts. You can listen to our weekly review of Premier League action, our brand new show, The Fantasy Faithful, where we agonize over our many fantasy Premier League mistakes. And of course, you get this podcast in your feed as well. Follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. We're at FootyFaithful underscore. Thanks a million for joining me, lads. Stephen, do you want to plug your, your podcast and all that kind of crack? Yeah, well, it's a 9320 podcast. It's a Manchester City one. So if there's any blues out there, so it's worth uh, tuning in for that. Excellent. Thanks a million for joining us this week. Pleasure, mate. And thank you, Peter. Cheers, lads. Thanks a million for listening. Wise. Away by Ferdinand. Petrescu. It's in! Dan Petrescu's first goal for Chelsea. Peacock. The world is squeezing across and here comes Petrescu for Chelsea. 12 minutes gone. Dan Petrescu gives Chelsea the lead. Oh, good ball, and Petrescu from Bernie's pass. And Chelsea take the lead. And Petrescu getting into a good position, and the shot finds Vanette. Initially in temporary charge, Dennis Wise stepped up to become player-manager. And in came Ray Wilkins as Wise's number two. The double act got off to a winning start. But it was a bizarre afternoon for caretaker manager Wise who left himself on the bench because he wasn't fully fit. We were playing Sheffield United, they were top of the division. And uh, I said, you sit next to me and we'll talk. I want to hear what you've got to say. I won't do a lot of talking. You do the talking. I need to get to know you. And uh, the team were playing it out of their skin. Let's see what happens from this uh, corner to be taken by Andy Roberts. Slightly different one this time. Ward's up there. Ball might break up for Eiffel. Has he got room for a shot? Low drive. What? Again, Eiffel is yes! Paul Eiffel into the back of the net. Oh, Paul Gerrard. I was so chuffed and pleased. And then he says to me, um, right, I'm going to put myself on now. And I said, turn around. Don't be so stupid. One, you're unfit. Two, leave it. They're doing really well. And I turned away from him again, watching the game. And then I said, what do you think of... He'd gone. He'd gone, he'd disappeared. And I could see him, he'd gone down to, to the touchline. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, how was it? I shook my head. I was not best pleased. He went on the pitch. 30 seconds later, he put in a tackle. 10 seconds after that, he was sent off. 25 seconds after that, he was sitting next to me. And I refused to talk to him. After about five minutes, he chipped, chipped in with a comment. And it was as if nothing had happened. We're down to 10 men. The manager's been on, sent off and back. And it was as if nothing had happened. What did happen, of course, is we won that game 2-0 and really didn't look back. And uh, thoroughly deserving the win. There's Dennis Wise, who's uh, full of joy, coming on to uh, shake hands and uh, give everybody a big hug. But... He'll be immensely frustrated by his dismissal. The new management team was soon installed on a permanent basis and the partnership was destined to take Millwall on a famous cup run that began with a 2-1 win against Walsall. <laughs>